at the beginning of nuclear power generation of electricity, they were all small reactors. They weren't modular, but they were small. And what the industry found was they could not make money operating small reactors because it just cost too much to build them and cost too much to operate. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the In Our Backyard podcast with your host, Jen Galler. This is the Blue Ridge Environmental Defense League's podcast, where I discuss environmental issues that are happening right in our backyards. This episode, I talk with Don Schaefer with the Tennessee Environmental Council and resident SMR expert. SMR or SMNR stand for Small Modular Nuclear Reactors. They are nuclear fission reactors that are slated to be built at a smaller size, but in larger numbers than most of the world's current nuclear fleet. Small because they generate a maximum of about 30% as much power as typical current reactors, and modular because they can be assembled in factories and shipped to power plant sites. These are only proposed reactors right now, and the nuclear industry claims that they are the way of the future. With Dawn, we discuss the problems and argue the claims of SMRs, including the economical implications, environmental and public health impacts, and where they are a potential threat. We also talk about how nuclear energy should not be classified under clean energy, and ultimately that SMRs and nuclear get in the way of funding and progressing renewable energy. To contact and connect with Dawn will be in the show notes below, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Don Schaefer of the Tennessee Environmental Council and resident SMR expert. So my first question is just what is an SMR? SMR is a small modular reactor. Really, they're small modular nuclear reactors, although the term that's most widely used is just SMR, but it's important to know that they are nuclear reactors. And the small refers to the fact that they're officially in the United States under 300 megawatts compared to the around 1,000 megawatts that most of the reactors are operating today in the United States are that 1,000 megawatt size. So they're no bigger than 300, the small modulars. And then the modular refers to the aspiration, the hope, this is not a reality, that they can actually build the components and build the actual reactor in a factory as opposed to the basically fabrication on site that has been always the the way reactors have been built in the past. And again, that hope is that they can save money by doing that, but that's not a proven concept. In fact, other reactors have been purported to be built in a modular way, and then most notably the AP-1000, which is the type of reactor being built at Vogel in Georgia right now and was being built at VC Summer in South Carolina. And those encountered huge cost overruns and time delays. Some of that because of the attempt to use modular construction and those projects, one of them has been canceled and the other is in deep financial trouble and still very, very far behind schedule. So the SMR is a type of reactor at this point. There's never been one built at this this stage of the game in terms of these types of reactors that are being proposed right now. But I think it's important to note that all of the reactors, when they were first built in the 1950s at the beginning of nuclear power generation of electricity, they were all small reactors. They weren't modular, but they were small. And what the industry found was they could not make money operating small reactors because it just cost too much to build them and cost too much to operate. So in an ironic, crazy kind of way, they've 
decided now that the large reactors are losing money as well and not cost effective, they want to go back to small reactors, which originally they tried and could not make money with. So in many ways, the nuclear industry is going around in circles with this. And that's why I call small modular reactors the next great hope for the nuclear industry, because they have given up on building these large reactors based on the experience around the world. Right. So is the idea that there'd be multiples of these small reactors instead of one large one? Well, yes. At this point, the leading design in the United States is the new scale reactor modules, and those are supposed to be 12 of them. Uh, and they originally started out to be 50 megawatt. The design was going to be 50 megawatts, and because the costs weren't working out at all for them, they are pushing the design and the safety envelope to try to build those at 60 megawatts instead of 50, and they will put 12 of those in a pool that is sunk underground, and the same pool that's filled with water underground, that will also contain all of the waste that comes out of these reactors, and And that brings up another important point in that these reactors will produce the very same type of nuclear waste that we, our current reactors are are producing and the same waste that we have no real solution for how to create long-term disposition or storage or I think disposal is almost an illusion because of the longevity of the danger that this waste poses. And it's not an exaggeration to say, in fact, it's being conservative to say that this waste has to be kept out of the environment for a million years. So again, the small modular reactors will produce the very same waste that we have not been able to find a place to put in a more permanent way than at the reactor sites where all of the stuff sits now, current reactor sites and even reactors that are closed. So this presents no change in the waste reality that is crippling the nuclear industry and really threatening the entire country and the world with an environmental disaster because the waste is so dangerous. Yeah. And like you were saying there's all these claims by industries and utilities saying that they're safer, more efficient, more economical. That's that's not the truth behind it. It still create the same problems faced with these larger reactors. So what would you say the whole point of SMRs and them thinking that's the future of energy? To me, the whole point is the desperation of the nuclear industry to keep itself alive. And there is also a certain desperation by the Department of Energy, which is tasked with creating our nuclear weapons arsenal. And so without a commercial nuclear power industry in the United States, the Department of Energy is concerned that we won't continue to make more nuclear weapons, which I personally believe is a good thing and that we don't need to make any more nuclear weapons. In fact, we need to take apart the nuclear weapons that we have. But it's economic desperation and it's driven by money and power in the sense that these companies that have been comprising the nuclear industry, they are used to getting huge subsidies from the federal government and they want to keep that going. They're used to, you know, utilities buying their product or not actually for the last uh, decades. Uh, There's only been two nuclear reactors finished in the United States since the 1990s and they're both Tennessee Valley Authority, TVA reactors at Watts Bar. Construction was started started on them in the 1970s, and the last one, Watts Bar 2, that was completed in 2016, took about 42 years of construction and downtime, 
and those are the kinds of problems that the nuclear industry has experienced, and it was maybe justified back in the 70s because we hadn't developed renewable energy to the point that we have today, and so the concern about coal and dirty power in the sense of the carbon problems with carbon-based electricity are, you know, they're documented now and very, very well known, but back in the 70s, people thought that nuclear power could be provide an answer, but in the intervening 40 years, it's really been been proven that nuclear power cannot provide an answer to climate change. And in fact, in my view and the view of many, nuclear power is really standing in the way of deploying more and more renewable energy and energy efficiency mm -hmm. because it helps to perpetuate the current model of big utilities with centralized generation. And it also sucks an enormous amount of money away from the development of renewables. It really basically starves the federal funding in a way. I mean, there's a small amount of federal funding for renewables for research and deployment, but nothing like the kind of subsidies and kind of money that's being spent. And one of the biggest ways you can look into that or prove that is looking at the amount of money the U.S. Department of Energy wants to spend on deploying these small modular reactors and how despite problems with cost estimates that do not justify going forward program, they keep going forward with the program. They are subsidizing New Scale, the company out of Oregon that is designing, might be the first small modular reactors that are deployed at Idaho National Lab for a utility called Utah Associated Municipal Power Systems. And when they run into problems of, that are basically around the cost of the whole plan and that the electricity is going to be too expensive, and that's even with the current cost estimates, which don't include the cost overruns that are typical and not just typical, but almost always happen with any of these reactor construction projects, especially what's called the first of a kind, where you're building the very first of a particular design. And so... Whatever costs they're estimating now, which are far greater than renewables, they're far greater than wind energy, solar energy, certainly far greater than energy efficiency, those cost estimates are almost certainly going to be off and sometimes they're off by multiples, you know, where it's two or three or four times as expensive as they thought it was going to be. And even with the optimistic numbers they're coming up with now prior to finalizing the design and prior to construction starting, they are having trouble with the cost being not competitive. And so that's why the U.S. Department of Energy is coming up with all sorts of ways to make sure this project happens. It's a shame because the U.S. Department of Energy would put the same kind of effort into renewable and storage. We would get there so much faster in terms of truly clean energy. And I have to also say that nuclear industry is is trying to change the definition of the word clean to include nuclear power and just so false and, and so outrageous, but mm -hmm. that's a concerted effort that they are making and with, you know, uh, a lot of public relations spending and, and power of the federal government behind it. Yeah, that's so true. And that kind of goes into my next question of what are the environmental and human health threats of SMRs? Sure. Everything that's wrong about the current nuclear power industry is wrong with small modular reactors. So just briefly, it starts at the mining of the uranium 
And what that does, it's ironic, most of the mines around the world, most of the natural uranium deposits are on land that is native land still, whether it's in the U.S. Southwest or in Canada or mm. uh, Australia. So something of a curious irony, but the mining leaves a, a trail of environmental problems that starts with mine tailings, what's brought out of the mine that has enough natural uranium to be a problem to the local environment, the local communities, but not enough to really use in putting together the fuel for the nuclear power plant. And then there's a whole nuclear fuel cycle, which proceeds until you have the actual fuel itself, the, the fuel rods. And every step along that way, there are environmental issues and there are Superfund sites from the past practices of creating the nuclear fuel. And then you get to the actual reactors themselves. And the reactors represent a risk as back in early days in the 1970s, the industry said that the current reactors couldn't possibly blow up and they were perfectly safe and they were engineered to be so safe that we shouldn't worry about them blowing up. Well, in the intervening years, we've had enough experience with nuclear power to see Three Mile Island have a meltdown which almost resulted in the release of an enormous amount of radiation in the eastern U.S. and would have been a catastrophe that is well documented. Uh, what's not well documented is how much radiation was actually released and how many people were harmed. Then you go to the next major nuclear power plant disaster was Chernobyl in the Soviet Union, and it blew up. It did not have containment. It was not the same type of reactor as U.S. designs. And so the U.S. industry said, well, that, that you can't blame that on us. But then get to Fukushima, where three reactors that were manufactured by the General Electric Company, a U.S. company, of course, they're called GE Mark I reactors, and three reactors had meltdowns and then actually had explosions with the release of an enormous amount of radiation into the air and ultimately into the Pacific Ocean. Again, that accident and the result is very well known, and it just reveals the huge downside risk. Now, the manufacturer of these SMRs, not just New Scale, but others are saying that their designs are going to be, they can't blow up and going to be walk away safe. But all of that is just theory and it hasn't been proven in practice. None of these have actually been built. And so you have the same possibility. You are going to be using the same nuclear fission reaction, which actually manufactures radiation at an enormous level. I mean, the fuel rods that go into the reactors have a certain amount of radiation. They have enriched uranium up to a certain level, around 5%. Sometimes it could be a little bit more, and they're the industry is moving to enrich the uranium even further. But the fuel that comes out of the reactors that's called spent fuel is actually millions of times more radioactive than the fuel that goes into the reactor. So it's always bugged me that it's called spent fuel, which misleads the public into thinking that it's a benign substance, which it is not. As I say, it's millions of times more radioactive than the fuel rods when they went into the reactor. It's deadly. And if you look at the current strategies and plans and engineering around the containment of that waste, there are enormous deficiencies. There's a lot of stuff we don't even understand about the material that we're creating and how to keep it out of the environment. And so the very act of creating more nuclear waste, even though the industry says, oh, don't worry about it, we've got it under control. If you look into the details of what they're doing now and the type of containers they're putting it in and the lack of a plan for deep disposal, plus the uncertainties around deep disposal, where they don't even really know if the material will 
be able to get back to criticality on its own after it's buried. And so much like the waste storage project in New Mexico, they had a explosion underground and a fire and it released plutonium around that facility in New Mexico. So there are enormous risks uh, every step of the way and the creation of the radiation creates a burden in terms of the disposition of it. And meanwhile, uh, you can make the same electricity with renewable energy and much less environmental impact. At this point, much less cost. I mean, renewables are getting to be the most cost-effective electricity, have gotten to be, and the challenge is just energy storage. And Arnie Gunderson, who's a nuclear engineer that is against the further use of nuclear power, says that figuring out how to store electricity overnight is a very simple thing compared to figuring out how to store nuclear waste, radioactive waste, for a million years or more than a million years. So we just need to put our efforts into that. And it's frustrating that our industries, big utilities and the federal government are just so locked into the past failed paradigm for electricity generation and are really fighting against the deployment of renewables and not aiding that evolution, which we are so close to being able to put together a clean energy system. And these small modular reactors are just the latest boondoggle coming out of the nuclear industry. Right. And geographically, you mentioned a couple of places, but where are these SMRs a threat and what industries or utilities are trying to produce them? The economics are so bad at this point. There's only one utility in the United States that's even considering putting together a small modular reactor project, and that's in Utah. Utah Associated Municipal Power System. And there's another spot that the Tennessee Valley Authority at Oak Ridge has been considering. And both of those share the feature of being connected to national labs of U.S. Department of Energy. The Idaho National Lab is where UAMPS is the acronym. Mm -hmm. And they want to put those reactors at Idaho National Lab near Idaho Falls and then send that power around to the UAMPS members. UAMPS has never had a nuclear power plan and they really don't know what they're getting into. In fact, they don't have the infrastructure or the expertise to even do the paperwork to do the filing with the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission. So they are going to be contracting with the Tennessee Valley Authority, the TVA, from our right here in the southeast to do all of the paperwork for the small modular nuclear reactor project that UAMPS wants to do. It's interesting that TVA has filed and been granted an early site permit for a small modular nuclear reactor at Oak Ridge, but TVA has had a lot of experience with nuclear power. They have seven operating nuclear power plants all along the Tennessee River. They had, I think, 10 other construction projects for nuclear power plants never got finished, and they have in the range of 20 to $25 billion worth of debt, much of which came from nuclear construction, either cost overruns or projects that were started and never finished. And the latest of which was the AP-1000 at Belafonte in northern Alabama, which is part of the TVA region. And TVA was supposed to build the first 
AP-1000, and they decided not to. And fortunately, that was one of the best decisions they've ever made because those are the reactors that are either were canceled in South Carolina, which has created a huge economic burden for the ratepayers in South Carolina, or they're trying to still finish the ones in Georgia at Vogel. And again, the cost overruns are crippling, and they still haven't completed these reactors. And this is 2020, of course. They were supposed to be done in 2016. And the ratepayers in Georgia and South Carolina have been paying those bills during construction, <laughs> plus profit for mm. the utilities. And yeah. so TVA has the experience to know they shouldn't really be the first, even though they are a federally owned utility and they have said that they would do it if the Department of Energy would foot the bill. And the Department of Energy has, has UAMPs on the line to cover a good bit of the costs, although DOE is certainly doing everything it can to make that project happen, both economically, you know, financially. So no other utilities in the United States are currently considering small modular nuclear reactors. There are some being built around the world, but in the U.S., that's it. Really, UAMPS is leading the way and TVA is waiting in the wings and is taking a kind of smart, skeptical attitude about the costs, and they're in a different position than UAMPS. Yeah, that's so interesting. Brettel, we had a chapter fighting against the Belfont nuclear power plant that you're talking about, and TVA is not going through with it, but it's interesting that, yeah, they're helping Idaho with this, mm -hmm. even though they won't do it themselves. Yeah. So what are people doing to engage and get involved and to ultimately stop the, the process of this? Well, I think the first thing is to inform yourself and try to inform others. Those of us that are aware of the realities of the project and the mistake that it is are actively engaged in trying to alert others in the raid areas and especially the focus at this point is in the area that are served by the Utah Associated Municipal Power Systems, which is a group of municipal utilities, so publicly owned utilities, and all around, not just Utah, but into California and maybe a little bit into New Mexico and up into Idaho, up into, I think, eastern Washington state. And the project is touted as a, a carbon-free project. And of course, nuclear, if you look into it, is not carbon-free. It is lower carbon than coal or natural gas, but it is not carbon-free. And especially out west, the possibilities for renewables, at this point, even there is a wind project that is going to create hydrogen that's going to be sent over to the city of Los Angeles to meet their clean power, low carbon, renewable power needs in the future. And the West is blessed with a lot of wind, a lot of sunshine. And so part of the focus in terms of education out West is educating on the problems with the cost of this project and the exposure of the small towns out West. And some of them are suburbs of Salt Lake City, so it's not necessarily all small towns or university towns uh, spread around. But these towns, if they have to pay for kind of cost overruns that the Tennessee Valley Authority has had to pay for on their nuclear projects, it is going to be a real hindrance to their economic health and the well-being of the people in the area because it's just going to cost so much for their electricity. So a lot of the effort is being put toward 
educating folks on that count. There is effort being made to monitor the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission's project to get a design certification for the new scale reactors, and that is a lengthy several-year project that is Parts of it are open to the public, but it takes a huge commitment in terms of time and effort to follow those proceedings. But a very real concern is that the new U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, that is really watching out more for the nuclear industry's health and welfare than the people in the United States and the environment of the United States. And so the process is really very frustrating to private citizens and even scientists and nonprofit group uh, advocacy staff to engage in and kind of uncover issues and problems that come up, for instance, in the design certification. There are questions about the waste storage, where the waste is supposed to be stored in these pools. There's questions about with the same pools as the reactors, and there's questions about the emergency planning zones because manufacturer, New Scale, is warning the emergency planning zone to be very small, and that really shrinks the margin of safety that people that live near these facilities will have, and then everything from the number of operators that will be in the control rooms and how these things are going to be monitored and built and how well they're going to work. They try to identify problems beforehand, but very difficult, and so a lot of things come up later. But a lot of different aspects to engagement and boils down to either public education or the engagement with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, and then also the engagement with, in the case of UAMP, the cities and towns and municipal power agencies, they each of them have to approve the participation and so there's efforts made to engage with those decision-making bodies. As far as TVA goes, there's been a lot of effort made toward attending TVA board meetings and addressing the board members during the listening sessions. Uh, any citizen can get three minutes to share concerns and that's a way of at least getting the attention of the board of directors of TVA. Unfortunately, the Tennessee Valley Authority is very pro-nuclear and is very averse to moving in into the clean renewable energy of the 21st century. And so TVA is a unique federally owned utility that's a corporation, but it's federally owned and it should be one of the first, if not the first, utility in the nation to further the public good by being a world leader in renewable energy use and deployment. And they already have a good bit of energy storage in the form of all of their reservoirs behind their dams. And they mm -hmm. actually have a pump storage facility at Raccoon Mountain near Chattanooga. So TVA is poised to really be able to lead the world in this energy revolution. But unfortunately, they are digging their heels in to try to maintain their current configuration. And so there's an effort to engage with TVA. It's not easy because of the way it's designed. Yeah, like you were saying, it's us that keep these industries and agencies and utilities accountable. But in the TVA case, since they are semi-publicly owned, they also have a responsibility to do the right thing. Yeah, and it's interesting. It seems like some of the newer bigger users of electricity that have moved into the region like Google and others of these new companies, they demand clean renewable energy and TVA has had to provide it in order to attract that type of new businesses. And they have responded to that. But in terms of responding to citizens' demands and pleas and requests, their strategy has been for really over a decade now to 
make it look like they are committed to making that transition, but then in reality, they are doing everything they can to make sure it does not happen. When it comes to solar energy, wind energy, they are just really slow walking it to the point that it's just a struggle. And and part of that is TVA does have a lot of nuclear power generation, seven old reactors that provide 40% of their power, but that's already way too much. So the last thing TVA needs is to deploy small modular reactors to get even more of their power from nuclear. In terms of energy balance, it's not a good plan for TVA, but it frustratingly is their approach. Yeah, and another good point that you made was not categorizing nuclear under the term clean energy. Yeah, you know, it's one of the efforts at this point in propaganda, in a sense, that the U.S. Department of Energy and the Tennessee Valley Authority have been actually trying to change the definition of the word clean to include nuclear in terms of energy. And that's so odd because one of the definitions of clean is that if something is free of radiation, of ionizing radiation that's giving off. So if something comes out of a some sort of exposure or possible exposure and they check it with a radiation detection device and it's not showing any radiation beyond whatever radiation would be in normally in it from natural sources, they say, well, that's clean. (laughs) And yet uh, the industry is trying to co-opt that word. And I think people need to be skeptical and really demanding of honesty from the industry. Yeah, exactly. And is there anything else that we didn't touch or cover on that you think is important to mention? I would just say that if anyone listening to the podcast is interested further, that there is an enormous amount of information available online at different websites from places like Brettle, like Nuclear Information Resource Service, which is nears.org, like Beyond Nuclear, which is beyondnuclear.org, like Fairwinds, which is the website for Arnie Gunderson. And there's also a lot of information from nuclear proponents, and it's good to read that stuff too, but I think it's important to try to see both sides of the story. A lot of times what the industry is putting out there is easily uncovered, is really not being true. And there's a lot of hubris in the industry industry, a lot of false optimism, and the technology is seductive, and it creates a feeling of power in the individuals that are in it, because splitting of the atom certainly is an amazing thing that people have done, but unfortunately, it has all of these negative effects and repercussions and environmental problems that really, even a man like Admiral Hyman Rickover, who was the father of the nuclear Navy and really helped to start the first commercial nuclear power plant at Shippingport in Pennsylvania, toward the end of his life, he ended up deciding that the whole enterprise was a big mistake and we needed to just stop making more radiation, stop making more nuclear waste and get our electricity from other sources and do our best to limit and then abolish nuclear weapons. And, you know, this was a man that uh, spent his life developing these concepts. So I think everybody that somehow has gotten used to the idea of nuclear power should really look into it. And again, because there are a lot of downsides that could be so, so serious. And again, the way nuclear power actually gets in the way of flowing renewable energy type energy, we really need to be getting into more and more. Great. Yeah. And then just lastly, how can people contact or connect with you? I work a good bit with the Tennessee Environmental Council and the website is tectn.org or through Brettle as well.
Thank you so much to Dawn for talking with me about all things SMR and nuclear energy. If you want to learn more about SMRs and nuclear energy in general, I'm going to link all the websites that Dawn mentioned to educate yourself. I'm also going to link resources to Idaho Falls and UAMPS, where SMRs are a major threat. But also in recent news, Tennessee Valley Authority, TVA, signed an agreement with the University of Tennessee Department of Nuclear Engineering to study the potential of building the nation's first commercial SMR. So clearly TVA is not giving up on SMRs quite yet. Dawn also holds monthly SMR calls with people all over the US and Canada to keep up to date on SMRs and try to be ahead of the nuclear industry curve. So you can contact Dawn to be a part of those. And tune in next Friday for a new episode and have a good week, everyone.